Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Hey, Goal Achievers, this is Hal Elrod, and I wanted to take just a quick second to let you know, actually, you know what, this will probably be more like two or three minutes, but just just a minute or two or three to let you know that this episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast is brought to you by the Best Year Ever Blueprint Live Experience. And if you have never been to the Best Year Ever Blueprint or you have questions about it, I'll take just a couple of minutes here to tell you what this is all about. First and foremost, it it is our annual event. This will be our fifth year, fifth annual Best Year Ever Blueprint. It's in San Diego, California. People fly in from, I think, last year, 16 different countries all around the world for this really once-in-a-lifetime experience. And to give you an idea, you know, I go to a lot of events. Uh, I go to events for entrepreneurs. I go to personal development events. I go to events with my wife or couples. I go to all sorts of events. And the best year ever blueprint, I can say without even any hesitation, it's unlike any other event that I or probably you have ever been to. And I think that all of our attendees, who most of them come back year after year after year, they will tell you the same. And I want to give you kind of a high-level overview of what makes Best Year Ever Blueprint unlike any other event. Most events, if you've been, you go and you listen to speakers and you take notes. Well, yeah, we bring in some world-class speakers, some seven-figure and eight-figure entrepreneurs, some world-renowned experiential trainers, some, I mean, you know, some great keynote speakers. There is some of that there, but that's not what makes Best Year Ever Blueprint different or special. That's what may, that's a very small part of it. Uh, it is a scientifically designed event that invites reflection, awareness, and reconnection with your highest self. It is artfully engineered with nature, with live music, movement, and space to help you amplify your most powerful strengths and harness your brightest future. It is collectively empowered by the intelligence, humanity, and impact that the global Miracle Morning community and listeners of the Achieve Your Goals podcast have come to stand for. And in terms of who it's for, it is for individuals who are ready to take any or every area of your life to the next level of accomplishment, fulfillment, and purposeful progress. It's also for entrepreneurs who understand that they are already fully capable You just need one insight, one aha, one discovery to unlock your full value creating potential. And it's for leaders of organizations and communities who want to experience firsthand and learn from the best experiential facilitators in the world on how to bring out the best in others, in those that you lead and those that you love. And finally, it's really just for anyone who believes in the power of community and are ready to learn in an environment where everybody belongs belongs. And I'll close with just a couple of thoughts. Um, th- these are a few uh, comments that I pulled off of Facebook from people that have been to Best Year Ever. Uh, one is Stephen Christopher, CEO of Sequest. He said that since coming to my first Best Year Ever Blueprint, I'm already halfway done with the book and I've experienced over 500% growth in my business. Delyn Cooley said, I was at your event, a small town girl from Wyoming. I immediately felt pure, unconditional, genuine love by everyone and for everyone. It was the most amazing experience I've ever had. 
And finally, Shane Brockman said, was one of the best weekends we've had as a couple relative to her and her husband, Ted. She said, BYEB, best ever blueprint, should be hyped as better than marriage counseling to bring couples closer together worth every single penny. So whether you're an entrepreneur, an individual, a couple, a leader, this is an event that really can be a game changer. And that's all I'll say about it today. Go to besteareverlive.com to get all the other details uh, and see if it's a good fit for you. See if the dates work out December 7th through 9th, San Diego, California. And uh, we'd love to spend two or three life-changing days with you. Two being the main event. And then there's an entrepreneur day that is optional if you want to uh, become, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to be a part of that. So check out bestyeareverlive.com. And I sincerely hope that it's a good fit for you and that we'll see you in San Diego for what is sure to be another life-changing, unforgettable weekend together. So today we're going to dive into this interview. I'm excited for this. This is Akshay Nanavati. And uh, Akshay was referred to me by a friend. I did not know this man until I interviewed him. And what you're about to hear was one of the most fascinating conversations. I, I was just enthralled to the point where at the end of it, I asked you, I said, hey, can I, I want to meet you in person. Like I, I was, I became a fan of Akshay very quickly. I think you will too. Uh, and I even, after we got off the podcast, I said, hey, mark your calendar for, you know, uh, if you're in the country next December, 2019, we've already got our speakers lined up for this, this one. But I'd love to have you, you know, consider uh, speaking at the Best Year Ever Blueprint in 2019. So, anyway, I'm a huge fan of Akshay. Just you, I think you'll you'll find out why uh, here uh, in just a couple of minutes. So, I, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Akshay Nanavati. All right, goal achievers, what's going on? This is Hal Elrod. Welcome to another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. I, as always, really appreciate you tuning in. And uh, today, you're in for a treat. The topic today and my guest, it's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. In fact, it's kind of uh, very closely related to what I speak on when I go speak at events and you know conferences and that sort of thing. Uh, my guest today is Akshay Nanavati. And Akshay is a Marine War veteran, an ultra runner, an entrepreneur who has overcome drug addiction, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and alcoholism that pushed him to the brink of suicide. And his book, Fear Vana, which was endorsed by the Dalai Lama, is an, and it rhymes, <laughs> Fear Vana, Dalai Lama, uh, but it's an actionable guide on how to transform fear and struggle into, I love this, boundless bliss. And the purpose of our conversation today is really to help you find the gift in all of our seemingly negative emotions like fear, stress, and anxiety in order to leverage them as fuel to achieve your greatest goals. I'm pumped for this. Akshay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, my friend. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. Congrats on everything, just on your success, on the book taking off. I know you published about a year ago and now you're, you know, you're in talks with traditional publishers and yeah, Fear Vaughn, I was looking on Amazon. It's, you know, you've got 61 reviews, five out of five stars and it's, you know, just people are loving it. Their, their lives being transformed. So congratulations on your work, making a huge impact. Thank you so much. I'm very blessed to be able to be here and to touch uh, these lives all over the world. Very cool. Well, let's just start with your story. I want to know, you know, what is your story and leading into how did, how did you utilize your story to come up with the concept of Fearvana? Yeah. So it kind of began in high school. I was born in India. I moved to the U.S. when I was about 13. Soon after that is when I got pretty heavily into drugs. And, you know, me and this one other friend were the first in our group to start going into hard drugs. And he is no longer alive today. I ultimately lost two friends to drug addiction and was very much headed down that path myself. 
And one day I saw the movie Black Hawk Down. Have you ever seen it, Hal? Uh, It's been a long time, but yeah. Powerful war movie. It's based on a true story. And that movie just triggered something in me about this very selfish and meaningless existence I was living and the power of humanity to the courage that we can sacrifice our lives for, for other human beings. And so almost overnight, I stopped doing drugs, decided to join the Marines. It took me about a year and a half because I have a blood disorder that two doctors told me would kill me in Marine Corps boot camp. So I had to sort of fight my way into the Marines. But the Marines is when I first started learning the value of struggle, like the gift of fear and how adversity is such a beautiful thing. Because Marine Corps training obviously wasn't easy. <laughs> sure, sure. And uh, after going out of boot camp, I started, you know, nature became my playground to explore my limitations. I went mountain climbing, cave diving, skydiving. I used to rock climb 80 foot walls without rope, you know, all of it. And then in 2007, I was deployed to Iraq as an infantry Marine. We're out there. One of my jobs was to walk out in front of our vehicle convoys and look for improvised explosive devices before they could blow up our vehicles. So somewhat dangerous job. risk of being blown up every time, is that... Exactly. It was, you know, because if somebody was going to get hit with, with that IED, guess who it'd be, right? Like it'd be the, me and the other guy walking and clearing the, the area before the vehicles came through. So once again, you learn out there how to engage fear, how to thrive in a position of adversity. But to be honest with you, the toughest battle really was after I got back, struggled with survivor's guilt. I was diagnosed with PTSD. And that's when I really hit depression, started drinking myself into really, really dark places. So one day after just five days of binge drinking, I woke up and thought about ending my own life. And that was the trigger that led me to the years of research in neuroscience and psychology and spirituality to initially heal myself, but it led me on this far more meaningful quest to figure out how do we all navigate the experience of suffering? Because as you know, you've gone through your fair share of struggles. It's just part of the human experience. And how do we transform that into bliss, which is what led me to the idea of Fearvana, the concept, the research, and my own life experience, and many people I interviewed as well. That ultimately led to the book and now everything I'm doing with Fearvana. When you hear the story, you connect bliss with fear, you know, the Fearvana title now is it, it, mm-hmm. it has so much more mm-hmm. meaning to me. Yeah. Now, what what age did you say you moved to the US? Was that 14? About 13? 13, About 14. 13. Yeah, 13. And, I think. and then was it that you met some was it just running into kind of the wrong crowd that were into drugs and got you into it? Or how did that come to be? You know, yeah, when I moved here, I was I wasn't very sure of myself of who I wanted to be, what I wanted to be. Uh, I had already moved to three different places before this. I'd moved from Bombay to Bangalore to Singapore. So when all the moving around, you know, I always adjusted well in that I found friends and all, but I wasn't sure. I was kind of lost. And so when I moved to Austin, I got, and I don't blame my group of friends because I take responsibility for my actions. But sure. the truth be told, if I got into a group of friends who were, let's say, ultra runners or mountaineers, I would have immersed myself in that. I've just kind of figured out I have a fairly addictive personality. And from a young age, I used to, like when I would play rugby when I was a kid in Bangalore, every time I got cut, I would love these cuts because they were like sort of these war wounds, you know, these battle scars. <laughs> yeah, so sure. I always had this kind of extreme personality and it just got channeled into drugs because of, again, finding a community that embraced that. But again, I take responsibility and I want to be very clear. It's my, you know, uh, however, with that said, a different community and it might've gone a different path, but no regrets. And when you, you and you were, what I just want to, trail back here I, I took notes when you were talking but w- what age did you see the movie black black hawk down so i think it was about 16 or 17 uh, i was 16 or 17 because i was into drugs at that point for about a year and a half i still remember that very day we were actually about to have a night of you know doing lots of lsd marijuana uh <laughs> drinking yeah. and one friend wanted to go see the movie and nobody'd go with them so i was like all right i'll go with you and uh, right after watching the movie he had the book black hawk down I ended up reading the book Black Hawk Down and just book after book on military and combat, and it transformed my life. And that got you so intrigued that you joined the Marines and headed, headed overseas, yeah? 
yeah, uh, that, that made me want to go initially into Marine Corps, into special forces, but I wasn't a U.S. citizen at the time. So I couldn't go become an officer or go into special operations because you have to have a secret clearance to do both. And you need a U.S. citizenship to get a secret clearance. So I just thought, okay, I'll go Marine infantry. And later on, I would go special operations. But obviously that path changed as well. So I want to I want to bridge the gap for me and, and personally and for our listeners yeah. of how, how you got from there to exploring the concept of Firvana or even mm-hmm. preliminary ideas, concepts, mm-hmm. ventures that led to that. So so take us from that. Take us from you came back from the war, you became an alcoholic, uh, yeah. if correctly, uh, dealing yeah. with with post-traumatic stress disorder. And then w- when did, w- walk us through kind of what, what, what sure. were the series of events or yeah. realizations that led you down the path that you're on now? So when I got back, I ended up finishing my undergrad and then went to master's and I got my master's in journalism. So at this point I'm in college and I always did well in college and I'm partying on weekends as many college students do. So I never really saw it as a problem because I wasn't drinking every day. My problem is when I was drinking, I drank pretty heavily, but I was like, you know, I'm a college student, whatever. So I still, you know, was doing well in school and still fairly fit and all of that. Uh, then after, after my master's program, I got a corporate job for a year and a half, hated it, <laughs> quit, spent a month dragging 190 pound sled for 350 miles across Greenland in minus 40 degrees. And again, once again, started embracing all of these struggles, looking for ways to explore my fears. So it wasn't until many years after the war. No, wait, I don't, I'm yeah, sorry to interrupt, but what was the Greenland yeah. story? Uh, expand on that a little bit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I spent one month dragging a 190-pound sled with 32 days worth of food, 350 miles across the ice cap there in like temperatures as low as minus 40 degrees, got stuck in brutal storms for five days. The following year, a British explorer was actually killed in one of these storms. So fairly intense expedition. And you did this, what was the context of you doing this? Just, hey, I want to get a sled and and, and survive well, in Greenland this. for a month? You know, yeah, yeah. Like, again, I got pretty heavily into outdoor sports since joining the Marines. So this was like a next big one to pursue. And truth be told, like looking at it now, I was running away from the quote unquote real world. I wanted to be in environments where your life is on the line and environments that are that intense, that hostile, because there's a kind of beauty and simplicity and peace to that environment to that life. Yeah. And so I was seeking that. I was running away from myself. Like today I still do something similar, but I'm doing it from a very different place of consciousness, right? Sure. And so I was kind of running away. I actually signed up for my corporate job and I knew exactly what date I would quit because I also signed up for the Greenland expedition. So <laughs> I knew that I would quit at the latest a year and a half later when the expedition came up. And that's what I did. So I quit <laughs> and went to Greenland. And at that point, I had kind of started the foundations for building my own business. And so when I came back and started building my own business, as you know, that's when it started to strike. Because at this point now, there's no longer external structure imposed upon you. You have to find it. You have to create it. And when, when that happens, you start leaving room for the demons to rise, if you will, because now there's that freedom. There's that freedom of space, freedom of time. And uh, with that, there's you know those those demons can rise. And soon after that is when I was then diagnosed with PTSD by the Veteran Affairs Administration, which I even went over there because, I mean, to be very frank, my wife and I were having some problems. And to be honest, it was like physical problems. And to be honest, there was nothing wrong with me physically. It was clearly psychological. So my wife was like, why don't you, you know, go get it checked up? And when I did, that's when they diagnosed me. And that's when it led me into like kind of deeper and deeper into the darkness. And to be honest with you, I love like the, the people there. I think they're great human beings, but I think the way that they were operating the therapy was uh, from a, just a very bad playbook. And that's why it led me deeper into darkness, which again, I take responsibility for, but something wasn't working clearly. And that eventually led me to my own research in fear 
and uh, in navigating post-traumatic stress. And the realization that post-traumatic stress is not indicative of a disorder, that our stress, our quote-unquote traumatic experiences, our fears can be really an access point to enlightenment. And uh, transforming my own struggle is what led me to Fearvana and then helping other people do the same thing for their suffering as well. Wow. Okay. So you, you now, and by the way, did the alcoholism, was that after the Greenland trip when you came back that that started or was that before? So or I both? was always at this point where, again, I was kind of drinking on weekends, but I was like a quote unquote functioning alcoholic, right? Like yeah, yeah. during my job, when I had it, I would drink heavy when, you know, weekends rolled around. Uh, sometimes during the week and maybe skip a day of week, you know, work and, and blame it on sickness or whatever. But never really saw it as a problem because, I mean, I was doing a good job at my work. I was still fairly fit. I got promoted two weeks before I had to put in my two weeks to quit, which was awkward to say the least. <laughs> got it. Like, Don't promote me now. I'm about to quit. <laughs> yeah, right? maybe, maybe they had wind and they're like, all right, let's get you promoted. Maybe you won't leave. All right, so, all right. So you're back. You've done this 30-day trip across the, uh, you know, in negative 40-degree weather. Yeah. You survived that. Now you're, you're researching what's causing your PTSD, your fear, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then, uh, yeah, and then keep going. What, uh, where did it go from there? So when I hit that low moment, I mean, again, I would, uh, so when I didn't have the structure for job to kind of force me to, let's say, show up to work at 9am, so to speak, I, um, now had my own job, right? So you know how it is with your own job. You could kick your feet up, sit on a couch all day for one day, and it potentially could not be the end of the world because you're imposing your own structures. So when that happened, slowly two days of drinking would start becoming three and then maybe four. And then eventually, I mean, I got to a point where I was drinking like a liter of vodka a day and I would wake up and I would wake up, I mean, drink until I pass out, wake up, drink, put on movies, put on TV, something to numb the chaos of consciousness, something to silence my mind. And uh, after five, six days of this one day, like, cause I would go through this for five days or, you know, six days. And then eventually obviously just got so bad that I'd be like, all right, I got to, what am I doing? I got to slow down and, and, and get back to work. And then all that kind of thing. And then eventually, though, after one of these cycles of drinking and sobering up, I just woke up, still see the couch next to me, woke up and thought to myself, there's no point going on. And let's just, get the, you know, walk over to the kitchen, pick up the knife and end it all. Mm-hmm. And because uh, this pattern would never change. And that was a shock to me that I would even think about ending my life. Like it blew my mind that I had gotten so low. You know, I'd already considered I consider myself someone with some fair grits and resilience. I'd gone through these challenges before joined the Marines when two doctors told me it would kill me. And not only did I survive the Marines, but I graduated infantry school as the honor graduate, you know, so I thrived in it and always did well at anything I put my mind to. So it shocked me that this, where I had become was a vast different, like a 180 between the self-identity that I had for myself. So, and, what was, so was, the, was the desire or the thought of suicide, was that, was that the, the wake-up call? What was the wake-up call? That was definitely the first, tr- like the huge trigger that shifted it. I mean, honestly, I went back into the patterns a little bit, but that was like the, because the, the, it was like, that was the one that really pushed, you know, rocked the boat, so to speak, enough to, okay, this, this something's got to change. So that's when I started reading book after book. I mean, I read hundreds of books. And then eventually I did, uh, I, you know, I, I made the decision to stop drinking for a while. And then I started moderating it. So I actually got pretty good at moderating because I was like, you know, I kind of came back to it and moderated it for a while. And at this point, I was thriving, writing my book, all of that. And uh, only later, much later, did I finally say, you know what, even moderation is not good because I moderated it for a while. But every once in a while, these triggers would hit and I'd go back into sort of a two, three, four day spiral. And so finally, I said, look, what am I doing? Like, I don't ever want to go back to that place where I was, you know, on my couch. And I'm not really, I'm really not good at moderation. I kind of got that at this point. <laughs> and yeah. So let's just embrace the addictive personality and then channel it into something positive and meaningful. And that's what I did. I mean, I reframed my experience of my survivor's guilt. I reframed my experience of post-traumatic stress, of fear, of all of these things I've been through and turned them into a gift and sort of my ally. 
in accomplishing all these other things I've accomplished since then. Wow. I'm excited to dive into this because uh, yeah. dive into the content, dive into your brain, if you will, because it's <laughs> fascinating. And I'm so glad that we went a little deeper because just when you shared the fact that you were drinking up to a liter of vodka a day, mm-hmm. I think that's a really powerful visual for you. Know, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like, like I don't drink a liter of vodka a year. <laughs> yeah, know? no, it, sh- it shocked me. I mean, literally I would wake up and see these bottles in my, exactly what you're saying. I, I mean, I remember thinking that like the like four or five bottles of this in my trash and I'm like, there's people who drink who don't drink this in a year or two yeah. years. That's yeah. insane what I'm doing. Like, and you said how, you were married at this time, you said, yeah? I was, yeah. So how was your wife? What, what was your wife's take on this? Was she, you know, was she scared, freaking out? Was she, what, what, what was going on? I mean, sometimes I would do, like, it would go really in heavy when she wasn't there. Like, sometimes, let's say she was traveling to India. Her fa- our families are in India, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. something like that. But even when she was here, I would sneak, like, I would find ways to hide it. Because I was always a late night worker. So, I would be like, okay, you know, it's when she'd go to bed, I'd have my bottle of vodka hidden under the bathroom cupboard kind of thing, you know, sure. uh, to pull it up. And, uh, and it never resulted in like, sort of, uh, like we still had a great marriage, but I, but I was hiding it, you know, I was hiding this ultimately not only from herself, of course, but from myself, right. Like not only from her. So, uh, so yeah, so she, she knew it was a problem because there were days clearly that I was really drunk and, and, and she'd be like, you know, like, and she, she, it was a problem, but it wasn't like a severe problem yet. Yeah. Um, uh, in some of these moments until finally hit that low moment. And that's when I really confessed to her, um, after that, that, you know, I'm just in a dark space and, uh, obviously she was very supportive at the time. So b- based on your experience, both your experience, uh, what you've gone through, what you've overcome and, mm-hmm. and then your really your research and then the work that mm-hmm. you've done and the book that you've written, what have you found is the biggest barrier that stopped people from, we can kind of say blank, meaning achieving their goals, mm-hmm, creating mm-hmm. life of their dreams, being happy. Cause it sounds like you, you know, you were so unhappy that you were yeah. to alcohol and yeah. that drugs. Um, what's the biggest barrier that's holding people back from what it is that they really want? Yeah. Love it. Awesome question to me. Fundamentally, the biggest barrier that stops us from getting our goals from living a happier, meaningful life is our relationship to struggle or our relationship to suffering. As I like to put it, the most important thing we can do to improve our lives is to develop a positive relationship to the experience of struggle. Because here's the thing, how like if we don't, when we, when we seek out something meaningful, we're going to have to struggle to get, achieve that goal. Writing a book, writing a book was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Uh, you know, running ultra marathons, building a business, these things are hard. And when we learn to develop a positive relationship to that struggle and find joy in the struggle, we are more likely to succeed at our goals, but we're also more likely to enjoy the journey. So it's not only that struggle we're seeking, it's also the struggle that life throws our way. You know, like now, again, I, I've developed a positive relationship to my experience at war, to my struggles of that. Like, as a quick example, right now, as I sit next to you, I'm looking at this poster of my friend that I lost in the war, and it says, this should have been you. Earn this life. Mm. So my guilt became my ally. I developed a positive relationship to it because that's the huge problem. We demonize emotions like fear, stress, anxiety, guilt, anger. We say these are quote unquote negative emotions, but there are no bad or good emotions. There's just emotions and we can do whatever we want with these emotions. We can choose how to transform them and make them work for us in any way. And when we develop a positive relationship to the hard emotions, to the quote unquote negative ones, the ones that do require some struggle, we can ultimately achieve anything and also just enjoy the ride more, you know, because it's going to be hard. You know that you've gone through struggle and whether we choose, whether we seek it out or not, life is going to throw struggle our way. And if we learn to smile in the face of it, nothing, like nothing can stop us anymore. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And my wife always tells me that you're not normal. You're not normal, <laughs> you know, because I'm like, sweetie, you can't change it. Why don't you just enjoy that you're, in fact, I'm going to tell a story that is, it's kind of, I, I started to write this in my new book and I'm like, eh, this isn't really appropriate, but I, I feel like a podcast is, even though it is permanent, it's not quite as permanent. So I'm just going to share this. <laughs> Please. I was at a, and I've never shared this before, but I was at a college party at UC Davis. I lived in Sacramento. It's up uh, near Sacramento. And I uh, I was at a college party and I, I was probably 21, I think, maybe 22. And I, I wasn't a big drinker. So when I, you know, like I was a lightweight, you could say, right? And mm. this particular night, my buddies were like, dude, drink with us. Let's do shots. And I'm like, okay, why not? Let's try it. Okay. And anyway, I got, I, I drank so much that I was, I was, I got really sick. Mm. And I was sitting out on the bench uh, by myself while everybody's having a great time. And I go, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm about to throw up. And then I had this thought, I go, why don't I enjoy this experience? Why don't I, instead mm -hmm. of, instead of wishing I wasn't, that I didn't drink so much and being sick. And, and I guess right now, as I'm saying this, I could say, well, you don't want to condition yourself to enjoy doing things that you shouldn't do. Right. That's a whole different conversation, but here's the point. Something that normally you'd be like, Oh God, this is terrible. Oh, like no one likes throwing up. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Anyone. Yeah. I've never met anyone that enjoys no. throwing up. I, I, I personally, I don't <laughs> like it at all. Yeah. And I thought if, since I can't change that, I'm about to throw up. What if I am just, just try to experience really intense gratitude, not for the throwing up, but just for life while mm. I'm throwing up and just enjoy and just smile. So I sat there heaving. It was, it was disgusting. It was horrible, but I was smiling and I was in, and it was genuinely, it's kind of was like one a test. And I think you do this to yourself with all your ultra running, right? Yeah. Where you're going, it, it, let me, let me figure out how to enjoy the most unenjoyable thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, because absolutely. if I can enjoy that, then I can enjoy the mundane uh, challenges and adversities that we experience in our daily life. Right. That's amazing that you had that awakening while drinking like that. That's beautiful. <laughs> powerful. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think the awakening oh, came yeah. before and I just luckily remembered it. You know, I, I was accept <laughs> all the things I couldn't change and find the best in situations, but love it, man. That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. But yeah, totally relate. That's exactly why I love ultra running. I mean, ultra running and you again, you've and I think you've done some of your own ultra running adventures too, but what I, I love did, about I it is one and checked it off the bucket list. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. So, you know, the pain that it entails, but oh, yeah. beauty in rising above that, you know, like to me, what I love about it is it really is this microcosm for the entire spectrum of the human experience. You've got these intense highs and intense lows and in everything in between, you know, and it's, uh, it becomes a microcosm for just life. And I, that's what I really, really enjoy about it. Yeah, you're in Austin, right? We definitely, we definitely got to hang out. We're, we're very, we're as like-minded, I think, as uh, as they come in. So I actually am in New Jersey. I still got my Austin number, but I, I lived a lot of time in Austin. But I will be back there soon. So 100% would love to hang out, my friend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you, what made you decide? So, in fact, tell everybody. I don't, I don't think we've talked about this. We've yeah. done here and there. But am I understanding correctly? You've made a decision to run across every country <laughs> in the world. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. I've done eight countries so far and I'm about to do my ninth. So, okay. So this is, this could be the whole episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by this. You've run, and I almost feel like we should have John Berghoff interview you because John is an ultra runner and he's done, you know, I've done one, he's done quite a few, but when you say run across every country, so you've done eight so far, give me an example. You've run from one end of a country to another end of a country, eight. Yeah. Is that correct? So I ran like from the Southern tip to the Northern tip, 55 miles across Luxembourg you know, did 350 miles, which was technically cross-country skis across Greenland. Uh, some of the ones I've started with are smaller just to uh, kind of not only do the, the build up my running skills, but also to uh, 
logistically learn how to manage these things. So I did 28 miles across Barbados, which although not as big as some of the other ones, it was probably one of the worst. I got severe heat exhaustion at the end of that run and like full body heat cramps. That one was awful, just horribly painful. <laughs> and where were uh, you 55 miles across? Luxembourg. 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 And I'm about to do 210 miles across Liberia. That is insane. You're, you're now, and now and Greenland is interesting. So 350 miles and that's that's separate from when you is that separate when you when you were dragging the the uh no so that is that's the dragging the sled yeah we dragged 32 days worth of food and supplies to survive out there for a month and that was cross-country skiing for 350 miles yep cross-country skiing i actually had to put on 17 pounds of fat to prepare for that expedition and then i lost 20 pounds out there (laughs) wow so uh what was your and, and was that the furthest of all the countries that you did that has been the furthest. Yeah. That was a multi-day. I mean, I kind of don't in my, in my mind, I don't put it in the, in the category of running because a polar expedition is just a different beast. Like, I mean, it is a cross country thing, but it's just a different beast than running. So in my own sort of psychological profile of how I handle these things, that was a whole different project to accomplish and to manage everything. So Liberia is kind of the biggest run that I'm doing now. And then I have some much, much bigger ones planned after that, like eventually running across an entire continent. So I got those, some of those planned up in, in a com- in couple of years. So <laughs> what is your, how, how long is this plan? How long will it take you to run across every country in the world? This is one of those things. It's a lifetime goal. I mean, the, what, what inspired this is, you know, as in my own healing, as I said, I realized that I'm not very good at moderation. So I needed something to consume <laughs> my... <laughs> to consume like the depths of my soul. And how do we find like something that like a one, this is kind of a, a useful way. How do we find our path? We look for, I knew at this point, clearly I loved physical adventures. I loved pushing myself. I had experimented with it, played around with it. I realized this is a huge part of who I am. And I ran into this ultra runner who ran, <laughs> ran into him, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, he ran from the North pole to the South pole, averaging two marathons a day, every day for 10 and a half months. I mean, the guy's wow. a beat. Insane wow. feat of human endurance. One of the best feet of human endurance I ever came across. So when I saw what he did, it was like, wow, if he, cause I come from a mindset that if one person can do something, anybody can do something. Yeah, right. So yeah, yeah. as you can relate, uh, uh, you know, obviously. So I saw that and I was like, okay, if he can do that, I'm going to run across every country. And uh, <laughs> that nice. trigger kind of sparked something. And I wanted something to consume the entirety of my spirit, you know, to, to become obsessed over. So this project is a lifelong project. It's one of those things that I don't know if I will cross every country by the time I die. But the journey itself is the destination. Even if on my deathbed, I've crossed 50 or 100 or 150, it'd be kind of worth it, (laughs) you know? Well, it's a great point that the purpose of a goal is not to reach the goal. It's who you become in the pursuit, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You hit every country or you only do 49, I mean, whatever, right? It's like, you know, it's it's the process that develops. Yeah, it's already transformed me. It's led to so many things. Like with Liberia, what we're doing is we're using the run to bring water to those that needed across the country. We're actually distributing water filters along the run because the country went through a brutal civil war for 15 years. So I'm working with the gentleman out there who helped rescue 20,000 child soldiers during the civil war. Amazing human being. And uh, working with him to distribute water, we're helping to raise funds to build a first sustainable school in post-war Liberia. So running is one of my vehicles of service. Really, there's two. There's running and entrepreneurship and running is one of the major ones. So I'm just using my vehicle now to, you know, to serve in any way I can. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So let's talk about the book, Fearvana. I just added yeah. it to my shopping cart. I'll be ordering it. <laughs> hang up. Um, first, as an author, I have a question for you, which is how'd you get the Dalai Lama? <laughs> was that just, uh, just emailing him or how, how do you do that? Cold, yeah. Cold pitch. I actually shot a video for him. Shooting wow. personal videos was a game changer. 
but it definitely took a lot of persistence. I actually, so I reached out to the email on his website, which got me nowhere. So I spent like hours and hours and hours researching one name and contact, found a name and contact who then connected me to three other people, finally connected to the right person, shot this video, wrote a letter for him and really five months of building a relationship with this monk in the monastery there. And, uh, you know, like one, one important point on this for anybody listening, the whole time I was doing this, I'm constantly having the self doubt that, oh, they're going to think my book is garbage. They hate me. That's why they're not responding to my emails, all of this stuff. And the real point is that it's okay to have that voice, but you don't have to listen to it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that voice was there, but I continued to rise above it. And five months of building a relationship with this gentleman. And he sent me this beautiful email saying, considering everything you've been through and your genuine desire to serve, I'll press your case. That's exactly what he said. And, uh, wow. and then he sent me this letter and I got this letter that we framed and put up in our house uh, from his holiness with his seal and his signature. He ended up writing the forward. I only asked for like a one-liner or a testimonial, but he wrote the forward for the book. So it was just a huge blessing. It's been a That's tremendous cool. lesson. And, and look at the effort, right? For anybody listening, that's extraordinary effort to achieve that goal of, of five months of, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you got, you missed the initial, you know, didn't get responded to the, the first emails that you sent. So you recorded a video, you wrote a letter, you know, you kept pursuing until you achieved the goal. So the book is called Fearvana, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, wealth, and happiness. Who's this for? I mean, other than everybody, of course. Uh, I mean, this is universal for everybody. But, yeah. uh, but, but what, you know, what, what, what is, if someone's listening, uh, yeah. what are they going to get out of this? Why should they read this? Everybody navigates the experience of fear, stress, and anxiety in their life at some point or the other. And this book is about transforming that experience. Whether you're an entrepreneur, you're an athlete, you're a student, you're a parent. I was writing, obviously, as we all do, we look at your message, your message. So in the categories of where I see myself, right? An athlete, an entrepreneur, a veteran who's gone through all these things, but it'll help you transform that experience that are, that the world tells us is negative. I mean, how often do we hear people say things like be fearless? We attach a disorder towards like stress and anxiety. You know, we say uh, eliminate your stress, manage your stress, how to do things easily. And that stuff never works. Like just a quick anecdote about that. I mean, I worked with this client who said, I'm just waiting for the fear to go away so I can quit my job and start my business. (laughs) And you know, yeah, that's why you're laughing, right? Because I told you that's your problem. You're waiting for the fear to go away. It won't. Instead, how do you use it? And that's what this book will help you do is transform that quote unquote negative emotions into your gift, into into an ally to help you accomplish your goals. Beautiful, man. Well, Akshay, this has been a fantastic conversation, man. One of of my favorites that I can remember in in recent time. Honored, Uh, brother. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Thank you. Uh, Again, I feel, you know, I think that we we all like like like-minded people, right? And I just, I feel Mm -hmm. like you and I are two peas in a pod, brother. Yes, sir. So so the book, best place to get it on on Amazon, I'm assuming I see Kindle, audiobook, and paperback. Yeah. Any other way for if if somebody wants to follow up with you, get a hold of you, you know, like you are there, Dalai Lama, they want you to write the forward to their book. What's the best (laughs) way to uh, connect with you? Uh, fearvana.com. You can find me on there. Reach out to me personally. I respond to all my own emails, Akshay at fearvana.com. And all the profits from the book are going to charity. And right now they're focused on building that school. So, you know, so it, uh, not just the book itself will hopefully help, but what we do as a, on the back end will help others as well. Beautiful, man. Well, I, I love, I love your mission or missions. It sounds like there's quite a few, but, uh, <laughs> how, how old are you right now, by the way? 33. 33. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So. You've, uh, you've been through a lot, my friend. Cool. Well, uh, Akshay, appreciate you. By the way, for everybody listening, the book is Fearvana. I want to spell it out for you. F-E-A-R-V-A-N-A. Uh, Fearvana. Goal Achievers, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Akshay as much as I did. Uh, we may have him on again uh, because I, I, I had so much fun talking to him. So love you. Appreciate you. Thank you for being a listener, a loyal listener of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. And I will talk to you very soon, my friends. 
Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 